The New England Patriots, one of the most successful teams in modern history, was down by 25 points going into the second half of the game. In fact, at the end of the third quarter, they were still way behind a young, fast Atlantic Falcons, Atlanta Falcons team that just seemed to be doing everything right and destined for victory. The game commentators were saying New England was finished. My son-in-law, who is an avid New England fan, was saying, it's over. But suddenly, in the last quarter of the game, things began to change. New England scored a touchdown. They got a two-point conversion. They scored a field goal. Then in the last seconds of the game, they scored another touchdown and made another two-point conversion to tie the game. And I, I don't know if you know, I mean, making two-point conversions is very difficult. I'm a Washington Redskins fan, and I watched them try several times last year, and it was like, nah, not going to happen. But these guys did it twice. So, wow, the, the game was tied at the very last few seconds. So the Super Bowl went into its very first ever overtime. The Patriots won the coin toss. They got the ball, and they drove it all the way to the goal line, scored, winning the game. What's the lesson here? Is there a lesson here? Well, I think you can sum it up in three words. Never give up. Never give up. Now, I know it's just a football game, but it really tells you something about life, even in just, this was just a game, but they said, never give up. This morning, I want to talk to you about the subject, when you feel like giving up. Life can throw you some curveballs. Sometimes it's just an annoyance. Sometimes it's a matter of life or death. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, didn't do us any favors. We don't live in a paradise anymore. Ever since the fall, sin entered the world. We have had to struggle, face challenges in our lives. We live in a fallen world. Nothing works perfectly. Nobody has a perfect marriage. Nobody has perfect children. Nobody has perfect parents. Nobody has a perfect job. Nothing on this planet works perfectly except God's worth, God's word of truth. Now, there are unseen forces in, at work going against us and going against you. The Bible has names for these three things. They're called the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have a battle that goes inside you. You have an old nature that doesn't want to do the right thing. Are there habits in your life you can't seem to break free of? Do you sometimes do the wrong thing? The Bible calls this the flesh. You see a sign that says, don't touch wet paint, but you're like, I want to touch it. Is it really? Is it really wet? Or it says, hot stove. Is it really hot? I just, I just want to, you know. So that's the flesh. That's the old man nature in you, kind of wanting to try to rebel. Then there's the battle around you. The Bible calls that the world. 
That is the culture around you wanting to tear you down. The world says, if you are not the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the most talented, the most wealthy, well, you're just not worth anything. Your life doesn't matter. The world glorifies the top 1% and says the rest don't matter. You have peer pressure at school. You have peer pressure at work. You may even get pressure from your own family, your own family trying to convince you to do things that are wrong, that are ungodly. And thirdly, there is Satan, the devil. He is real. He's not equal to God. He was created by God, but he rebelled. Satan wants to hurt you. He wants to hurt those that you love. He can't hurt God directly. That's why he wants to hurt God's children, you and I. He wants you to be miserable, to suffer. But now you don't have to be afraid of Satan if you know what tools to use, to know what is available to you, to know how to overcome. The people who overcame these battles that we just talked about, the world, the flesh, the devil, they're talked about and listed in the Bible. They're, in effect, God's hall of fame, and they're listed in Hebrews chapter 11. They made it through the battles of life and won. They were victorious. It is a list of people that you're familiar with. There's Noah. There's Abraham. There's Isaac. There's Jacob. There's Moses. There's Joshua. There's David. There's Gideon. That's just to name a few. At the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews, in the beginning of chapter 12, it gives a passage for your encouragement. It says, just because you are living a godly life doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. You're still going to have some suffering. You're still going to have some pain. And you're going to feel like giving up at times. It starts by talking about people that didn't have all their prayers answered. Just because you're living a godly life doesn't mean that you're not going to experience some pain some difficulties in life. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Can we pull that up, starting verse 35? There we go. It says, There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had promised, what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. People give their lives for Yeshua in this present day. There were close to 100,000 followers of Yeshua were killed last year because of their faith 
And if you look at the figures, it's about the same for the year before that. People are martyred around the world for their faith in Messiah. I had the privilege of attending a UMJC leadership conference two weeks ago in Dallas. At, one, at lunch one day, I happened to sit next to an amazing rabbi and author, Dr. Jeffrey Feinberg. You may have heard that name. I believe we sell some of his books in the bookstore here. He, he wrote books like Walk Genesis, Walk Exodus, Walk Deuteronomy. He has a whole series like that. It's a wonderful man. He's currently a professor of biblical studies at the Graduate Institute of Applied Languages in Dallas. Now, this school trains individuals from all over the world to translate the Bible into native languages. And believe me, there's some odd languages and dialects that, you know, most of us probably never even heard of. Dr. Feinberg told me about some of his students from predominantly Muslim nations, countries like Afghanistan, Pakistan, even Nigeria. He teaches them to translate the Torah into their native languages. These people go home and share the Jewish texts and they share the gospel. These are people that in these countries whose eyes are being opened to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the very first time. Miracles are happening. There are incredible accounts of Muslims accepting Yeshua. There are accounts of Muslims and this is what he told me, seeing Yeshua in a dream, in a vision, that the Lord Yeshua spoke, speaks to them. Now, these people who share the gospel in these, these places, and these people who receive the gospel and believe and accept Yeshua, I mean, they get marked for death. They put their life on the line for their faith. And sometimes we think we got it bad here. The wealth and prosperity gospel says that if I just have enough faith, I won't experience pain. If I just have enough faith, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have tons of money. If I just have enough faith, I'm not going to have any problems. Well, that's a big lie. The Bible doesn't teach that. On the contrary, the Bible teaches that in times of trial, in times of hunger, in times of pain, you have the most faith. The real test basically is when life sucks. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist living in Vienna before the Second World War. When the Nazis occupied Austria, life became very difficult for Frankl and his family. They were forced to move into a ghetto. At one point, he actually obtained a visa for himself and for his wife to emigrate to America. But because of the concern, of his elderly, for, care, concern for caring for his elderly parents, he decided to stay. In 1944, Viktor Frankl was sent to Auschwitz. He was separated from his wife and his parents. He would never see them again. For the next year and a half, Frankl spent time first in Auschwitz and then in Dachau concentration camps. Starving, oftentimes beaten, sick, 
he would end up surviving and was liberated by American troops at Dachau. After the war, he wrote books and lectured on his experience. His most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning, Life in the Concentration Camp. Viktor Frankl was 39 years old when he went into the camps. He was not particularly physically strong. He was not particularly physically fit. He experienced terrible suffering, yet he survived while many younger, stronger, bigger men around him just gave up and died. Why? Here's one of his quotes. He says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Everything was taken from him except his life. They, didn't, they weren't even allowed to be called by their names. They were just numbers. They had rags for clothes and a number, nothing else. Everything was taken from him except for his life. Does that remind you of somebody in the Bible? Job, maybe? He recounted memories of his wife while in the camp. He would sometimes just imagine having conversations with her and just going to the park, just going about everyday life. He would find hope in simple little things. He would share his meager bread and soup with another prisoner who maybe didn't have any or was sick and in worse condition. He found hope in other little things, like the time he said he found a page torn from the Siddur with the Shema Yisrael written on it in the pocket of a discarded coat. Just little things that gave him hope. See, even suffering cannot erase faith and experience of faith. Suffering and pain does not no matter how hard it tries, have the last word. Here's another one of Viktor Frankl's quotes. He says, I have realities in my past, not only the reality of work done and of love loved, but of sufferings bravely suffered. These sufferings are even the things of which I am most proud, although these are things which cannot inspire envy. Not all of God's promises will be filled to you in this lifetime. Some of his promises will be filled in eternity. Some of God's promises to you will not be fulfilled in your 80, 90 years, whatever time you have here on earth. Let's go back to Hebrews. Can we go to chapter 12? Thank you. It says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also get rid of every weight and entangling sin. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. You see, we are runners in one large grand relay race, and you're part of God's great plan. He wants a family, and you're a part of it. But you've got to do your part. Your part is not insignificant. You are not insignificant. What would happen in a relay race if one of the runners doesn't finish, doesn't run the leg of the race? It affects the whole team. 
The whole team has to finish. You don't get a gold medal until the whole team finishes. My point is this. The race is still on. Some of the rewards you're going to get, you're going to receive in the future. Your reward is in the future. God is building a family for himself. And our time on earth is only part of it. His plan will be finished when he, God, decides it's finished. Life is not a 50-yard dash. Life is a marathon. How do you make it to the end? What do you do when you feel like giving up? And maybe some of those Israelites in the desert, in the Sinai with Moses, like Sandy was talking about in her drash. So what does Hebrews 12 say again? Let me just read part of that where it says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that first line. So, when you feel like giving up, remember, we have a cloud of witnesses. Heaven is watching you. Now, we know from the Bible, we know that God is watching every step you take and every move you make. It's Job 31, verse 4. He knows everything you think and say. He knows the good the bad, the ugly, he still loves you. He knows every hair on your head, or where it used to be. <laughs> but you also have a great cloud of witnesses watching you, cheering you on. Just think about that. Noah may be watching your life. And Noah's saying, you think you got it so bad? I had to build this great big ark. Anybody was making fun of me the whole time I was building this thing. Abraham may be watching you. And Abraham's going to say, you think you got it so bad? I was 80 years old, and God told me I had to go pick up everything and move to this foreign country. I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't know what, gonna, what, what to expect. And Moses may be watching your life. And Moses is going to say, I had to carry a million whining, complaining Israelites out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. And all they did was kvetch and give me a hard time. You think you got it bad. So, we got a cloud of witnesses. What else? It also says in, in chapter 12, it says, let us also get rid of every weight and every entangling sin. So, eliminate what doesn't matter. Take off the extra baggage, take off the weights and the sins. Weights and sins keep you from completing the race. Now, a weight can be anything that slows you down in God's race. It might even be a good thing. Could be a job. Could be a relationship. Could it be an activity that takes you away from where you were put on this planet to do? What you were put on this planet to do? Now, some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. Like money, for instance. Now, a weight could, could, be, could be money. Just because you have money doesn't mean you have to go out and buy everything you see. A weight could even be a memory. You get stuck in the past. Maybe it's time to let it go. You could be filling your schedule up with too many things. It's easier to fill a schedule than to fulfill it. And so it may be time to clean out the clutter. A sin 
is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. You know what the Bible says about money. You know what the Bible says about your time. You know what the Bible says about sex. If you just don't do it, then you're sinning. James chapter 4, verse 17 is a perfect verse to quote. It says, therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it's a sin. As a result, we just get further and further into trouble. If you have unconfessed sins you're holding on to, if you're holding on to grudges, it's time to confess them. Confess them to God. Let them go. The third thing. It says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. I've got to run the race that God has set for me to run. Not somebody else's race, not uh, somebody who I think, you know, admire, not what, you know, what somebody says, tells me it should be. It's what God has set for me to run. Not your neighbor, not the celebrity on TV. What is my race? Well, I'd say ask God, pray. What are your spiritual gifts? What do you love to do? What burns in your heart? Number four, it says, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. We are to focus on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. We are to keep our eyes on Yeshua, keep our eyes on the Master, look to the Messiah. Keep your eyes on the problem solver, not the problem. Corey Tenboom was a Gentile believer living in Holland during the time of the World War II. And then the Nazis occupied Holland. Corey Tenboom and her family hid Jews in their house and helped them escape while the Nazis were there. Unfortunately, one day the, the Nazis, the Gestapo, got wind of it and they arrested. Corey Ten Boom and her family. They sent them off to concentration camps as well. Corey's sister died there. But Corey survived. Here's one of Corey's quotes. She says, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to the Messiah, you'll be at rest. You can worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. Even in the book of Jonah, Jonah said, when I lost all hope, I turned my thoughts to the Lord. When he was in the belly of the great fish, he turned, he prayed, he turned his thoughts to the Lord and was delivered. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and lose heart. Remember the suffering that Yeshua endured for 
our salvation. Think of what our Messiah endured for us to have eternal life, for us to look forward to being with the Lord forever. When you run for the first time, you usually have some sore muscles. You experience pain. Probably the first few times even you run, you get sore and have aches and pains. But over time, you develop strength and endurance. Running becomes easier. Look what the Apostle Shaul endured. He comments, he shows it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 21. He said, Yet whatever anything anyone else dares to boast about, I speak in foolishness. I dare too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Messiah? I am more so. I speak like I'm out of my mind, in labors much more, in prisons much more, in beatings more brutal, near death often. And here we go. Five times from the Jewish leaders, I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent in the open sea. In my many journeys, I have been in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desert, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brothers, in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Besides other things, there is daily pressure on me concern for all the Messianic communities. It's like, oh, you know, oh, by the way, I experienced all this stuff, near death, beatings, pain, suffering, and oh, by the way, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly worrying about thinking about the congregations out there, the believers in, in Messiah. So you think you got it rough? Imagine what he endured. But think about his attitude, though. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, here's what he said. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our trouble, light and momentary, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. As we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. What cannot be seen is eternal. Would you call that light and momentary? All the stuff he listed before. and The beatings, being stoned, being in the, in the ocean for a, a day and a half, tr treading water. Would you call that light and momentary? He does. Shaul is one of the greatest examples of an apostle. I mean, we learn so much from him. He's like a celebrity, like a rock star. But did he live like a celebrity? Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like a very enjoyable thing. Will you endure the race? Will you finish? What commitments have you made that you need to complete? Maybe you've said you were going to finish school but haven't. 
Maybe you made a commitment to get out of debt, but are struggling and saying it's too hard. Maybe even you have said to yourself, one of these days, I'm going to confess Yeshua as Lord of my life, confess him as Adonai, as Messiah. Don't put it off. I don't know what is in your life that needs to be finished, but God does. I've suffered things at times in my life of 61 years, and I know you all have too. Some of us have suffered more than others. Why? I, I don't know. I can't explain that. But I do know that God has a plan for you. Some of it might even involve suffering at some point in your life. I urge you, I implore you, never give up. Never give up. The Super Bowl is just a game. It's a metaphor for life at best. Your walk with God is real. Run the race. Finish the whole race. Be there to receive your crown. Be there to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Shabbat shalom to you.